Heyo, this is Dano, and this is the Read Aloud Dinner Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to helping family units grow in love together by teaching them how to read aloud as a family. Hey, could you rate this podcast? It doesn't matter what you give me, a two or a one or a five star. Just rate the podcast and tell me what you're looking for. Help me offer you what you need. What are we talking about today? Well, today's episode is how England is thinking about ditching phonics. But first, as we start all of our podcast episodes, we begin with a poem of the day. The poem we're going to be reading today is called Morning by Paul Lawrence Dunbar. And you might be hearing some more poems by Paul Lawrence Dunbar as we get going. He's an African-American poem who... I highly respect and he writes in beautiful meter and yet he writes very creatively. If I could ever be uh, get close to the writing of Paul Lawrence Dunbar, I would consider myself amazing. He's that good. But we're going to read Morning by Paul Lawrence Dunbar. The mist has left the greening plain. The dew drops shine like fairy rain. The coquette rose awakens again her lovely self-adorning. The wind is hiding in the trees, a sighing, soothing, laughing tease, until the rose says, kiss me, please. Tis morning, tis morning. With staff in hand and careless free, the wanderer fares right jauntily, for towns and houses are he thinks for scorning, for scorning. My soul is swift upon the wing, and in its deeps a song I bring. Come, love, and we together sing, Tis morning, tis morning. I hope that poem inspired something in you. And um, it's just, I, I love the rhythm, and I love how he plays with, with things, and poetry, right? Re- reading, how long could that, would that take to read at supper or lunch or breakfast or before bed if we're not reading to our children every day? It doesn't matter their age. It doesn't matter what's where they are at. It doesn't even matter if this is like necessarily developmentally appropriate. Putting literature in their heads. They're so smart. And that's the thing is when we don't consider children smart, and we think something's beneath them, then I feel like we steal something great from them. We're reading a poem, we're memorizing a poem at, at supper time called um, God's Grandeur by Gerard Manley Hopkins. And my three-year-old, just she just loves it. She, you, <laughs> she, she always has a special place in the poem. And so let's see if I can quote the beginning. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out like shining from shook foil. It gathers to a greatness like the ooze of oil crushed. And this is where my three-year-old adds in, ow, because she brings her hands together and she like crushes her chest and she goes, she brings it in and she always screams out, ow, whenever we get to that point. She's really internalizing the poem and she understands what crushed means and 
She loves it when we say shook foil because we talked about foil and fighting. And so we took pretend little swords and we had little sword match in our house. And this is what shook foil means and, and bright, shining, flashing swords. And boy, the boys got really excited about that. Like, wow, it's, that's what he's saying? Like, yeah, that's what he's saying. So the kids get really um engaged in this and we've been reading this poem for about man two months just reading it over and over and over again and memorizing different lines you don't have to memorize a poem but you can read a poem to your children that's not what we're talking about what we're talking about today though is england last time we talked about new york and what new york was doing how they were um, thinking about getting rid of Lucy Culkin's, Professor Lucy Culkin's and her reading curriculum and moving more to a phonics-based approach. And my thought on that was we need to be careful. We need to be really careful when we swing a pendulum from one side to the other. And so I don't know if England has decided officially if they're going to ditch phonics. But this country says, well, you know, it's not, it might not be worth it. And we're going to, we're going to walk, we're going to talk about all of that. So we're going to read this article. I'm, I'm learning how to use, um, um, what's it called? Footnotes or podcast notes. I'm not really good at it at all. I need to sit down and learn it. Technology is just moving so fast for me. So forgive me if I don't get this in the show notes. The, the article is called Focus on phonics to teach reading is failing children, says Landmark Study. And this is published by The Guardian. And the writer's name is Sally Wheel. She's an education correspondent. So Sally, S-A-L-L-Y-W-E-A-L-E. She's an education correspondent. And this is in The Guardian. And this was written... Wednesday, the 19th of January, 2022. So I'm going to read a piece of this article and we're going to discuss it as I go along. So the government urged is urged to drop emphasis on synthetic phonics in English schools as not backed up by latest evidence. A landmark, I'm reading now, a landmark study has described the way primary school pupils are taught to read in England as, quote, uninformed and failing children, calling on the government to drop its narrow focus on phonics. Researchers at UCL's Institute of Education say the, edu- the current emphasis on synthetic phonics, which teaches children to read by helping them to identify and pronounce sounds, which they blend together to make words, is not underpinned by the latest evidence. Unquote. They claim analysis of multiple syn- systematic reviews, experimental trials, and data from international assessment tests, such as PISA, suggest that teaching reading in England may have been less successful since the adoption of the synthetic phonics approach rather than more. The UCL's researchers, among 250 signatories to a letter, sorry, the UCL, the UC, 
UCL's researchers are among 250 signatories to a letter which has been sent to Education Secretary Nadim Zahawi, calling on the government to allow for a wider range of approaches to teaching reading, which would allow teachers to use their own judgment about which is best for their pupils. The use of synthetic or blended phonics to teach reading in schools in England has been the subject of ferocious debate since it was backed by former education minister Michael Gove, who introduced a phonics screening check for all children in year one, age five or six, to check pupil progress. In synthetic phonics, children begin by pronouncing individual sounds in words and are then encouraged to blend them together to make words. For example, S-T-R-E-T. Supporters say it has a bad positive impact on literacy and point to a significant long-term and point to significant long-term benefits for disadvantaged pupils. Critics say phonics training only helps children to do well in phonics tests. They learn how to pronounce words presented to them in a list rather than understand what they read. I'm going to stop reading here. So this points to what were um um this points to the problem of phonics and what Lucy Culkins was trying to address. We can think that phonics will solve everything. So we can go est or eat. And yeah, they know they might be able to say the word, but what does that word mean? So there are when you're teaching reading, there's of course the word, but what does that word represent? What does it mean? Can the child take what they understand? What what can the child take what they their brain knows and then connect it to something? I'm teaching English right now to an ELL student and he will read something perfectly. And then I said, what does that mean? And he'll, his eyes, his eyes will be searching. For example, he read the word ram, ram, and he said it beautifully, ram. And I said, wonderful. You said the word perfect, great American, um, um, great American accent, great diction, wonderful. You said it beautifully. And he said, Ram, what is Ram? Right? That's exactly. So he could read, he could read something. In fact, in fact, he's a very good reader. He's an older student. And what he does is he reads very well. I mean, what you would consider well, but he has no idea what he's reading. So he can, he can produce the sounds because English is his second language, he can produce the sounds, but he's not able to understand the meaning. This is the problem of phonics. You, if you teach phonics solely for the sounds and sounding out without adding the meaning, then you're gonna lose a lot. And there's a way to do that, and there's curriculums out there that help. But um, again, I mean, hear this at age five or six, Again, a stress on miracle growing kids. You know how I feel about that. We we really want when we teach phonics to make sure that we have that a love of literature. We need that. And then 
this a child to be able to sound out words and decode the words. Maybe that's what I mean. That children need to have the ability to decode words. And if you if we use that word decode, then decode, um, I think by its the nature by its definition means understanding what that means. England's, I'm going to start reading again. Um, um, so let me start, I'm just going to start reading again in this paragraph here. Critics say phonics training only helps children do well in the phonics tests. They learn how to pronounce words presented to them in a list rather than understand what they read and does nothing to encourage a love for reading. This is Lucy Culkin's, a love for reading. So that so they're saying that that needs to be important. I'm reading again. Ingla's PISA reading scores are virtually unchanged since 2006. Now, if you don't know what the PISA is, this is like an international test that kind of pits countries against each other. And I'm gonna actually click on that link and just tell you where the United States falls in the PISA international test and who's on top and who's on bottom and what these countries that are on top are doing to help with readings, which will be really interesting for you, I'm sure. So the PISA is this international test that basically pits countries against each other to see how are their re how's their reading overall. So the report, reading again, the report outlines three key approaches to teaching reading, as well as the government's preferred approach using synthetic systematic synthetic phonics. There's a whole language approach, Lucy Culkin's whole language, where the focus is on real text. The emphasis is on reading for meaning and any phonics teaching is non-systematic. The third approach is balanced instruction, which balances the different approaches. You could say that I would be more of a fan of the balanced instruction where you're balancing both approaches. And, um, but here you, here you have it. So what we read last time is where Lucy Culkins had focused on kind of the whole language approach, right? And had maybe not done as much phonics as, as, as she should have, where England has done too much phonics and has neglected the whole language. We need a little bit, you know, you know they're out of balance. I'm gonna read again. Um, Professor Dominic Wise, co-author of the UCL study said, teaching children to read and to make sense of text is crucial to improving their life chances and is one of the most important tasks of primary schools and, and early years settings. Although there are some strengths to England's current approach to teaching reading, our new research shows that the government's policy is uninformed because it is not underpinned by the latest robust evidence, end quote. Wise went on, for the first time in more than a hundred years, we see that a balanced instruction approach to the teaching of reading is no longer the norm in England. The majority of teachers are now reporting the more frequent use of a narrower synthetic phonics approach. Our view is that the system doesn't give teachers enough flexibility to do what they think is best for their pupils, nor to encourage pupils to enjoy reading, end quote. So do you hear what he's saying? He's saying that, A, there needs to be more balance. So we are, we are agreeing, he and I agree very much there. But you're also really important. This is what the Read Aloud Dinner podcast is all about. Did you, did you hear that part? Not enough emphasis on enjoying reading. 
Why do you think we read aloud at dinner? Why do you think we do funny voices and read poetry and fill our lives up with words? Now, if children don't feel loved by their teacher or by their parent or supported by them, then they're not going to care about reading and they're not going to care about that. I think it's interesting, though, that if parents do more reading and maybe they do more reading at the table, maybe about how to parent, how to love their children, maybe they'll be better parents. I know that when we read a manners book at the table for our children, not only did my manners get better, but we also learned, I think I've talked about this in the past, you know, just learned about how to respect other people, what um, expectations are for dress, what and um, cell phone policy at the table. So no cell phones at the table for people to look at. These types of things, I think, made my wife and I better parents because we read at the table and then it allowed our children to keep us accountable. We invited our children into the family, not into necessarily parenting, but into a family. And I think there's a lot more to say there about what family means. You know, we are the parents. I'm I'm not a fan of, there's a current like parenting philosophy going around. And sorry if this betrays my, my feelings, but uh, as, so, you know, with my, how my wife and I, we view parenting, we have a very, you know, very, you know, structure based, not authoritarian, but authoritative parenting style. I think that's the technical term. So we believe in authority, not authoritarian, like do what I say, but authoritative, that there's a certain level of authority in our family. This is important, especially when um, a child is running into a road and they're, they're, they could get hurt or they're disrespecting an elder or they're, um, or maybe they're, you know, they want to steal something from the store. There's an, there's an authority there. And though I do take time to explain things to my children, there are some things that I am at this point in their life, I am their father and there's, um, and, 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 and their mother, there's an amount of respect that they owe us at this point of their lives. And as they grow up, we release that authority back to them. So currently my wife and I, we hold a certain amount of authority and um, duties. And as they grow up, we start releasing or giving them that authority to them because they'll, they, they will become fully functioning adults where they will be given and mentored into that authority so that they know how to properly use that authority, meaning with great power comes great responsibility. Maybe that's the better word than authority, but my wife and I, we hold so much power, and right now that power is to keep them safe, and that power keeps them loved and protected, and there's things that they cannot nor will not know, like with strangers. You, we can explain it to them, but you do not talk to strangers except to say, oh, I'd love to go talk to mom and dad and they can come talk to you. That or that that type of thing, there's a certain amount of power authority. As they get older and as we 
um, my wife and I are very intentional about releasing that power back to our kids in a really kind of funny way called certificates. So we'll give kids or our children certificates for um, different things that they can do. So, hey, you've earned your certificate to get water by yourself from the from the faucet, meaning that you know how to not waste our natural resources, that you're a good steward of this earth, so we don't let water run on our own. You are now you now have the authority or you know you have this certificate to take a shower by yourself because they know how not to burn themselves with the water. If the if they turn the water the wrong way and it's hot, then they could right, they could burn their bodies and that could be a really dangerous thing for them. So then we we mentor, we guide, we show them, and then after they demonstrate that they can do it without harming themselves or others, hey, hey, you have your certificate to go do this. And they love this idea. And that's the thing for mom and dad of, have, are we teaching them the things that they ought to know? Doing it with money, um, relinquishing their, 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 the, you know, their money back to them. We're doing this with my oldest. She has um, a bank account and she has money that she can spend freely on her own. Um, we got, went and we got our bank account. We explained the parameters of that, but we're we're no longer, she might say, I want to buy this. And for the most part, we say, yes, it's your money. You can do what you want. We might offer some suggestion or a thought, but we're giving that power, that authority to her. So that's our that's our philosophy. You don't have to agree. I know that, especially with parenting, there's so many different philosophies and ideas, and I'd rather us not hate each other and seek to, um, like, well, you don't parent the way I parent, so you're just terrible. No, we have different philosophies, and the, the great thing is that our children are all going to end up together in this wonderful country, interacting and talking with one another. I often say that um, children often get the parents that they need. So... But one thing that I'm that I think that most parents agree on is that love needs to come first. And in reading, right, this this you know even in reading and structure and 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 helping you know you know here's the authority or here's the power that the teacher has, and how do you relinquish it back to the students? Now they might not know that it's powerful. They might not know how powerful reading is. You really want to show them that you want them to love it. So right? A love of reading needs to be there. Something to think about. Um, are schools failing to do that? I think that if you, again, you swing too far to phonics, you risk, you risk losing the love of reading and therefore I mean, teaching to a test. And literally a child could read and have no idea what they're reading. Going back to reading co-author Professor Alice Bradbury said research had showed that teachers feel pressured by the compulsory screening check. So a test, basically. So this is what I talked about last time, how the government or schools administrators can kind of get in the way of reading because because they want to do good. So sometimes these tests can really put pressure on teachers. And here it is right here. Um, going back to reading, results from a survey of 2,200 teachers found um, synthetic phonics was their main focus for teaching reading. But one, all but one of the 300 
sorry, all but one of the nine, 936 comments from the survey were negative about the screening test. So all but one. So out of 900, over 900 comments, only one was positive and the rest were negative. While one teacher described having to live and breathe phonics, another appealed for reflection on the mass of skills involved in reading rather than solely focusing on phonics. Policy changes have led to, to changes in, re, in teaching, including more time being spent on phonics, the separation of phonics from other literary activities, and reliance on a small number of phonics schemes, said Bradbury. This is an important shift in how children are taught to read, a shift which is not underpinned by the research evidence. Dr. Mary Bousted, Joint General Secretary of the National Education Union, said the phonics check should be abolished. When it comes to detailed questions of teaching children to read, ministers should accept that government does not know best. It would be more responsible for them to trust research evidence rather than to follow their own prejudice and instincts. I'm going to say no on that one. Academics are are wonderful, thoughtful people, but I'm going to tell you a really quick story. So I went to a school called the Laboratory School that was attached to the University of Northern Iowa when I was young. So um, the idea of the Laboratory School, which was run by the University of Northern Iowa, formerly the Teachers, formerly the teachers College, it was called so an, a school that had a reputation for teachers. And it even set up a school to help basically teach the best or the newest forms of teaching. And I was set in, into that environment with my, um, with my siblings based on just location. So I walked to school as a, as a kindergartner, first grader, because it was really close. So I'd walk there. And um, but one thing I think they did well, I mean, kindergarten was like half a day. That was nice. You had naps and all that great stuff. But then first grade, you know, we had this whole language approach because that's what the research said. That's what academics were saying. Um, it harmed me incredibly because I needed phonics. I mean, maybe you hear me reading now and I'm stumbling over words. I read all the time and I read out loud all the time. You think I'd be a good solid reader. Instead, my mind literally wants to shift words around. As I'm reading, I'm fighting it. I'm like, no, that's not that word. That's that word. That's why I'm stuttering a little bit. That's how my mind works. That's who I am. It's not something that's going to go away. I needed help. But I even asked my sister, who was a strong reader, and she said, no, that she, she still has trouble decoding words because she was never taught how to decode words. She was a strong reader. She did well. But the whole language approach didn't really serve her. So here we talk about how academics know best. I'm going to say no to that one. I think academics should be listened to academics should be and I'm this is this is me speaking as an academic we should be listened to we should be consulted but at the end of the day the um the teacher should want to know what's best for her classroom and the teacher ought to make the best decision for how to go forward versus hey this is what the, this is what the academics are saying i think if we if we go with that approach 
then we really are in danger of hurting large swatches of kids. What New York is accusing Professor Culkins of happening, that we focused on this, we focused on this whole language approach, and we think that that because we focused on this, we've hurt a ton of kids, hundreds of thousands of kids in our school system because we listened to this. This is what happens when we hold academics on a pedestal and we and, and we don't question the professor. They're smart, they've done a lot of research, but sometimes um, when I, okay, here's a good example. I'm a, I think I'm a pretty effective teacher. Students enjoy coming to my classes, they learn a lot, but if I were to take my exact model for how I teach English and share it with another instructor. They don't do very well. I've done that in the past. They don't do very well. Um, students struggle with my model. They, um, um, I mean, actually it's rather advanced. Uh, just the way, I, the way I teach is, is pretty rigorous. And so when someone else takes over, and they they don't do what I do, then it doesn't really work that well. When you're developing a curriculum, um, well, the hundred you know reading in hundred days curriculum was was a great curriculum to use, and that one I really had to study what he wanted or what the authors were saying about that curriculum, I had to really look at it and read carefully to understand exactly what was going on. And then once I understood, then I could move. Now, the authors were very clear, you must do it my way, no questions, no deviations. And honestly, that's on. That's the best way to do it. That if you've honed it down to a science and you've done it in multiple different settings with different practitioners and you got it, you figured out how to make it work, then boom, you have it. Now for like my teaching, I you know, it's me. It's just me teaching. I don't need to worry about having multiple practitioners teaching underneath me. It's just me. So I can teach in my way. I can, you know, forego an assignment or 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 modify or spend more time on something. That's what I very much believe education is is really tailoring it to the student. And maybe you hear that with me now, like really tailor, tailor reading to your children, really care about what they they care about. But I still use curriculum, like with this student right now, that I, this ELL that I'm working with and helping him learn how to read. I'm using a curriculum. I'm using the 100 days of reading, even though they are much older. And um, I'm following that method because it's a solid method and I know it's gonna work. But um, we, we just need to, right, be careful with the academics. Don't, don't believe everything they say, hook, line, and sinker, or damage could be done. I'm going to keep reading. A Department of Education spokesperson said systematic, systemic, systematic phonics teaching had been proved the world over to be the most effective method of teaching children to read. Quote, since the introduction of the phonics screening check in 2012, the percentage of one-year pupils meeting the expected standards in reading has risen from 58% to 82%, with 92% of children achieving 
this standard by year two. And the article ends. I think that's a perfect defense of of um what England is trying to do. How without having this phonics test, right? 58% new phonics and now about 92% of children know how to roughly read good. So they've put a lot of emphasis on phonics and they see that, hey, they're in this position in the PISA. Well, now you have a firm foundation rather than throwing out the baby with the bathwater, just like Culkin's, here we go again. It's not working, so we need to throw everything out. Think of evolution. Okay, we're, we're doing this really well with students. Let's start adding in some whole reading thoughts and activities. Let's start reading stories just because. Let's just start reading to them. Let's add a little Culkin's in. And then Culkin's look at England and add a little bit of, of you know, this, you know, systematic phonics in, in there. Then it becomes, then look at the test scores, then see what's going on and see how things grow. Not like a, a hyper focus on that test, but looking at it. Hey, I see I ran out of time. Sorry about that, me talking too much. I will talk about the PISA next week for our podcast. It won't be as long, but we'll talk about the PISA. But hey, what's your homework for today? Read something to your kids. Hey, this is Dano. I'm out. This is the Read Aloud Dinner Podcast. Mm-hmm.